0: This is the Observations Podcast for Friday, the 24th of February, 2023. Welcome back to the podcast, I'm Dale Franks.
1: I'm Michael Wade.
0: And it looks like we've actually started and we really are live, great. Um, some administ trivia that we have to get out of the way and I just started to talk about this with Michael and then we ran out of time and we just had to start the podcast, so we started the podcast. Uh, most of you are aware And you have made me aware, repeatedly, both here and on Twitter, that there is something going on with the past episodes of the podcast. That for some reason, um, the podcasts aren't being recorded by Mixler. Sure, they're going out live, and you can hear us live, but you can't hear us recorded, which means you have no access to past podcasts. So... Michael and I have been talking about a couple of things. In the interim, I think uh, until the thing we're about to talk about comes to fruition, in the interim, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to restart doing an RSS feed, uploading it up to AWS, recording the podcast episodes locally, and um, doing the, the, the stuff locally that I have to do, uploading the podcast and an RSS feed. That should... Revitalize the Observations podcast on Google Play and on the uh, iTunes Store, so you should be able to hear the podcast then, and you'll be able to hear uh, past episodes. Not all of them, in fact, practically none of them. We'll, we'll start this week, and then we'll we'll see how that goes. So, in the interim, we're going to be back on doing podcasting old school, the way we used to do it. Mixler will only be the live portion. And the the portion for pre-recorded stuff, you're going to have to get through your favorite your favorite podcast app. Now, uh, Michael and I have been talking about taking this from a solely audio format, and so one of the reasons why I said that this th- this recording and going back to uh, to Apple Podcasts is just for the audio part. Um, we are working on going full audio now. For those of you who don't know, I do have a full television studio here in my office, so I can go you know, full video all the time. However, I'm a weirdo who has a television studio in his office. Most people, <laughs> most people don't have that. So um, Michael is working on getting set up for video on his end, and also getting set up for a little more professional sound uh, than just you know talking on his his, his iPhone. Uh, via Zoom, which, by the way, as far as audio is concerned, Michael, doesn't sound bad at all. Uh, no, but, it doesn't. But, you know, it, it, to do the video, it'd be nice if we both had good microphones and we could both be both be on video. So um, our future plan, and I have no idea when this might come to fruition. It might be, you know, weeks, uh, it might be a couple of months. But I think ultimately our plan is to move this over into a video podcast and probably put it on, well, let's see, where will we not get canceled? Uh, probably Rumble. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Rumble, is going to say. Yeah, I think Rumble is our only choice here because uh, obviously sometimes we're a little heterodox in our thinking and uh, YouTube would uh, ultimately destroy us. And I really don't want to be dependent on Google. Don't want to really be dependent on Rumble either, but they seem to be more trustworthy at this point than Google is. So... And we might try with both and just see how it works. I mean, you know, I can, might always, as well
1: go with YouTube until they kick us
0: off. right? Or we can go to YouTube until they kick us off and then we can switch to Rumble. I, you know, I guess that's always possible. Plus we can always use YouTube for, I, I guess, um, uh, shorts anyway, or, or clips, uh, yeah. assuming that I ever had the inclination to sit down and do video editing, to pull a clip out of a, a hour and a half or two hour podcast. <laughs> I guess we'll see how dedicated I am about that, but I think that the, the initial suspicion should be not very. Um, so that's sort of the direction that we're heading. So we're, you, you kind of caught me in a transitional period right now, uh, to quote uh, Pulp Fiction. So we're we're going to see where that goes. But for now... I'm trying to record locally, which is why we, uh, for those of you who are listening live, why we had to restart the podcast three times so that I could actually get Audition running so that I could get something recorded uh, or get the recording started. Uh, And then I'll just upload those to AWS along with an updated RSS feed. You'll be able to pull our our past podcasts, uh, at least for the time being, down from there. And who knows? I'm not sure how I'm. I'm not sure how Google works with RSS. I may have to do some, some investigation on that for both Google or or perhaps Rumble, wherever we ultimately decide to 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 run this thing to. And I, I think at that point I, I might be able to take those videos and add them into an RSS feed that shows up on on both uh, iTunes and on uh, on Google Play. So. We'll see how that works out, but anyway, those are, those are the plans. We've been doing this uh, on Mixler Live, and it's been so easy to do. But Mixler updated "quote unquote" their software, and nothing works. And all of my local recordings that have been coming off of Mixler for the last couple of weeks are, for whatever reason, uh, just completely trashed. And so they can't be. I can't replay them locally, and of course they don't upload to Mixler either. So the live version is all that we got. Oh, and by the way, Michael, a listener says yes. Michael usually sounds okay on his iPhone, so there we go. Yeah, I think I, I think the iPhone sound is is good as well. So our plans are to make some transitional moves here, and then see if we can end up with uh, more of a video podcast because you know, video that's what all the all the all the kids are doing these days. <laughs> and, and yeah, you, <laughs> you laugh, Michael. I, I and I did say it as kind of a joke, but really, when you look at where podcasting is going it's basically all video now i mean who, who cares about, it really is yeah who cares about i mean an audio the, podcast? the big ones
1: went that way a long time ago and and now hell even the upstarts i mean they just start off with video
0: yeah what am i going to do listen to an audio podcast like some kind of animal
1: right
0: <laughs> so i think video is ultimately the way to go we could do the video thing now by the way um at least on my end um and then you could sit and stare at me talking to, you know, a picture of Michael cool for sure. background. Uh I have a whole bunch of cool backgrounds, my friend. <laughs> That's what I mean. I've you got, can change them. Oh yeah, I've got the full green screen thing happening here, not the cheap uh, crappy one that Zoom provides. <laughs> I have I have OBS. I have real chroma key capability. Um on a television studio that I built literally for under $200.
1: That's pretty damn good. I mean, it cost me six hundred to get as far as I've gotten. <laughs> you know, <I'm> still...
0: <laughs> Back back when I was in high school, I was working you know part time for uh, in, in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for Cable Channel Forty Five, and uh, I worked at nights doing uh, sort of technical stuff in the studio, playing shows. You know, because you know you have to start the three quarter inch VHS seven seconds prior to the actual airtime to give it the seven seconds to spool up, and I also worked as a cameraman uh, part-time as well for local local shows uh, in the studio. And, you know, these Sony cameras cost, at the time, you know, you know $25,000, $30,000 yeah. to broadcast in, you know, 480 SD at right. the time. <laughs> um And, you know, now I've got a basically a 4K camera that I bought for 120 bucks. And I've got some daylight LED lights uh, on some stands that, again, with the lights and the light stands cost me another 100 bucks. So basically for 220 bucks, I have a television studio that I literally would have, uh, I would have had to murder someone. Uh, for money to be able to afford the setup that I have now, you know, back in the nineteen eighties.
1: Oh my God! Well, I mean, think about it. Just on your phone alone, the the Apple uh, iPhone, I guess eleven and on. I mean, you could you could easily record a podcast in quite beautiful uh, video without any problem at all.
0: Yeah, and and by the way, people do yeah people do use their iphone to shoot this stuff
1: (laughs) and it looks good i mean that that's how far advanced uh we've really come with all this technology well Well, actually that's not even half of it if you think about all the crap that ai is doing now
0: well you know i just sitting here as i am right now looking at my computer i have a live radio broadcasting piece of software that is running um, I have a video conferencing piece of software through which you and I are conversing um, that is actually doing live video and audio between the two of us, four time zones away from each other. I have, I have an, a, a digital audio recorder running in the background. And I could, if I really wanted to, to pop up the video, run Open Broadcasting Studio on my computer at the same time. So that Uh we could have, you know, professional high-def audio back and forth. And by the way, Zoom costs me $49 a year. Uh, So does does Mixler. So that's $100 a year. OBS is free. um, And I got $200 worth, $220 worth of camera and lights. And I have a television studio that you probably could not have built in 1985 for less than $250,000.
1: I Think about it back then. That was when cable uh, access was all the was all the rage.
0: Oh yeah, tell me about it because that was a lot of the stuff that I was filming. Cable access stuff with a you know thirty thousand dollar Sony camera. Yeah, with that had a black and white monitor on the back of it. By the way,
1: of course it did.
0: <laughs> because why would you ever need to see anything in color ever when you're the cameraman? All you have to worry about is not cutting off the top of somebody's head
1: yeah exactly. Just keep it in frame.
0: oh, and by the way, <laughs> again from Chet, uh, talking about you know how I have all of this stuff that costs next to nothing. Yeah, many people do. cam girls do it all the time. that's true <laughs>
1: You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. only fans wouldn't exist without this sort of technology. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is true. And by the way, like every other technology that has ever been created, all of this technology services the pornography industry before it services all the rest of us.
1: I mean, it's really where it, uh, pardon the pun, but, you know, works out the kinks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In, in, In many different ways. All right. So with all of that, over and out of the way. I guess we should go ahead and talk about what's what's something. going on and where something. Um, honestly, I'm 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 not sure where to start simply because of the just the, and it's nothing new. It's this continuing wave of incompetence coming off of the Biden administration that just never ceases to astound me. Um, so. Two things. Pete Buttigieg finally decided to show up in Ohio, uh, wearing his little hard hat and his reflective vest. Uh, and look, he looked adorable. Um,
1: he was a little Bob the Builder,
0: yeah, cosplaying a construction worker. Um, and then you had Joe Biden, you know, flying over to, uh, flying over to Ukraine to, you know, to hobnob with, with Vladimir Zelensky. Um,
1: Well, it's it's a it's a really interesting juxtaposition because you know here you have uh, I mean literally working class I mean we're talking Ohio Pennsylvania border uh, West Virginia Kentucky I mean coal mining uh, industry I mean this is like the heart of the working class and you know the 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 Biden administration couldn't be more you know, dismissive of what's going on there or the media for that matter. Um, Yet, you know...
0: And and these are supposed to be Joe's people, by the way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we've got a border that is completely overrun. Actually, we've got two borders that are completely overrun. Um, And they, they, they don't want to do anything about that, but we'll be damned if we're not going to spend... Uh, Billions, if not trillions, of dollars in Ukraine to protect their border, and 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 this is where it gets difficult because, of course, Ukraine shouldn't be invaded by Russia, and of course we need to push back against Russia, but in the end, what is our real interest there? And you know what are the limits on this? I mean, it's become a politicized thing, and. It's now, like I said, it's a a huge juxtaposition with how we're treating our own people.
0: Well, I got bad news for you. If we couldn't figure out what our purpose and ultimate goal was in Afghanistan after 20 years, I'm pretty sure that we're not going to figure it out in Ukraine.
1: Well, unfortunately, I think we have some vested interests on the parts of uh, the political class. Um, And now this some of this is fact and a lot of it is conjecture the the fact is that we do have um you know medical testing sites there much like we had in wuhan right? well still have wuhan um that we have done uh pretty much the same things there that we've done and apparently are still doing in wuhan so there's speculation and it makes sense it, i mean if you want to you know draw it out but i I've, I've not seen that there's any proof of this whatsoever um but it does make sense that if uh so if this was an order of a law on uh, an episode of law and order this would be the motive that would get you going that you know these vested interests uh the money class the donor class don't want to be found out what about what they've been doing in the Ukraine. Now, the Ukraine is also famously pretty corrupt. I mean, they've jailed their former presidents before. They've, you know, tossed out uh, prosecutors because they got too close to the donor interests. I mean, th- they are sort of russia light when it comes to, you know, how their uh, political world works
0: yeah because in in russia if you get too close to corruption putin just has you bumped off
1: right unless you're you know bought into it uh but if you turn away well you know i'd stay away from windows
0: the the russian general who heads their military procurement uh system has an eight million dollar dacha outside of moscow
1: yeah of course but so anyway, I mean, the point is that, that the only reason this seems to be such a big deal is, well, the, the state of reason is that well we're defending democracy around the world. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. I got yeah. a better reason than that. Go on. Yeah. Um, you know,
1: it, th- that there seems to be, well, and of course, pushing back on Russian aggression, that's definitely, a. um A good reason. But there is some speculation. And again, it's just speculation, uh, basically, rumors that there are moneyed interests that uh, don't want anyone to find out what they were doing there. Um, And that's why they get all heebie-jeebied about, you know, when they get close to where some of these uh, uh, laboratories and test sites are.
0: All right. Well, let, let me let, let's let's rewind that a little bit. After the Soviet Union broke up, the the Soviets had biological warfare research centers freaking everywhere,
1: uh-huh.
0: and so one of the things that we did as part of the Department of Defense is we went in and helped demilitarize these facilities and kind of turn them over to civilian medical research and kind of like the. Um, sort of like a, a a biological warfare version of the Atoms for Peace program, and so the speculation is that what we actually did is just decided to do our own research there on 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 chemical or biological uh, weapons, which I think is a, a extraordinarily d- would be an extraordinarily dumb thing for us to do to do research in a country like Ukraine which is so close to Russia. There's lots of places we could do that research here, like out in the middle of Nevada, where nobody would ever know about it. Um, right. But who knows, you know, what's, what's going on there. I, I don't give a lot of credence to that whole, there's bio labs. Well, kind of. They're, they're, they're medical research labs now, and we have funded them. Uh, what are they doing? I uh, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody does. And in a country as corrupt as Ukraine, I'm not sure that anybody could ever really say, except for somebody who was actually there, there doing it. But it's a lot more it's a lot more complicated than that. You know, all this all this rah rah talk about how we have to, you know, you know, def- defend Ukraine from aggression, and you know, there's, that's the, there's this principle that we learned in the 1930s of non appeasement and standing up to the dictators. Oh, all that stuff sounds good for the rubes and hayseeds. But in actuality, it is an interesting method for our, to test our ability to move large amounts of military material fairly quickly to see if we how close we can get it to the front lines during an actual conflict. It does give us the ability to test a lot of weapon systems that we've never been able to go, you know, mano a mano with the Russians, and to see how these weapon systems work against Russian equipment, doctrine, and training. Um, It's an interesting laboratory for us to test a lot of our equipment and a lot of our logistics on the Russians. And that certainly sounds less altruistic than you know defending a peaceful people from aggression but you know i wouldn't uh i i wouldn't count that out
1: yeah well and after wuhan and many of the other things that have come to the foreground in the past uh you know seven years um you know there's not a lot I wouldn't put past the federal government anymore Um, I don't necessarily buy that that's the big interest. Um, What what you're saying actually makes at least some, it it makes uh, a lot of sense as to, you know, wanting to test capabilities and have real war conditions to, to, uh, uh, you know, figure out how our systems work. And if our strategies are correct and all that sort of stuff. And the only people Um, who
0: have to die are Ukrainians
1: exactly which is very jaded um but it's not like we haven't done that before so um
0: well there is also a secondary issue that i didn't mention which is if you believe the you know sort of the the peter zion style of analysis is that the russians don't want ukraine what the russians want at least in the 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 west is poland lithuania and latvia uh, and estonia Because they have to have those areas to cut off an invasion route into the Soviet Union or into Russia. And so, you know, their historical imperative has been to find these geographical areas where they can block an invasion. And with their current borders, they simply can't do that. Uh, From the border of Ukraine to Moscow, it's just this nice flat plain that anybody can drive across. So... You know, th- th- there is also the fear that if they get Ukraine, that's not the end of it because now they've got, you know, Moldova that is still sort of sticking out there all by itself, and you know, the only way to bring that in is to go after Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, so they'd have to be brought back in, and yeah, you know, if if the Russians get away with it in Ukraine, they begin looking towards you know towards Poland and the Baltics, so. I don't
1: think there's a question about that. I, I think that's always been at the back of Putin's mind and whoever he trusts to actually advise him. That's the ultimate goal, is to reconstitute the old Soviet Union
0: borders. And then you have to start looking south to Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan and Georgia. So... You know there's there's a lot of things other than just this principled stand against aggression, which by the way, is is a perfectly fine and perfectly principled stand. I, I don't have any argument with it at all. In fact, it's quite a moral stand. I'm just not sure it is the entire story here uh, when faced with what Putin is doing. now, whether Putin has the ability to reconstitute the borders of the Soviet Union. Is an open question, especially after not being able to take Ukraine. But um, I don't know; it's a very, very complex, very complex situation. But there are a lot of people, certainly on the right, and this is where you hear it most on the right, that that uh, Joe Biden cares more for Ukrainians than he does about Americans, which you know may actually be true. But, yeah,
1: I mean, that's a pretty reasonable <laughs> conclusion to reach based on the limited information that we have.
0: But, you know, I've, there are other things going on with Ukraine other than this. You know, th- th- there are reasons why the U.S. is supporting it um, that are basically not just purely moral and unself interested reasons.
1: Well, it, it, it been, and then here's the biggest problem with that. Yeah, we're supporting it. We're supporting it like 99%. You know, the European uh, countries are all about supporting it, but where's the actual support? They do almost nothing.
0: Uh, Okay, you lost me. Who is they who is doing the almost nothing? Europe. Oh, Anybody. the Europeans. Well, you know, the Germans finally decided to send some weapons. <laughs>
1: it sent some st- some tanks, yeah.
0: Um, and, and by the way, the Germans have been sending artillery. Um, That's true. But Germany's problem, like most other European countries, with the exception of, 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 to a certain extent, France and Great Britain, but for all of the other European countries, this is uh, undoubtedly true, their militaries suck, and they don't have a lot of equipment anyway, and what equipment they have uh, is half of it's probably deadlined.
1: Well, I was going to say, I mean, even Germany, what was it about like five or six years ago, they tried to do a baseline test and see where they were. And they couldn't even get a single platoon operational. I mean, they don't have, they've been all butter, no guns. Where are oh, the guns? Yeah.
0: The, the, the Bundeswehr is a disaster. It has been a disaster for 20 years and everybody knows it. Uh, and, yeah. in fact, um, I, I, on, on on a fairly regular basis watch um uh deutsche Welle, uh, their english language service which is actually fairly good by the way uh but you know i watched deutsche Welle, and they 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 did a, a one hour special on that, that might as well have been tired that titled why the bundeswehr sucks
1: right i mean at least the germans have have an excuse in that they were you know, basically forbidden from having any sort of military for yeah, well that, uh, several decades. They had a pretty good
0: military in the 1980s, my friend. And in after the unification, much of Germany's interest turned inward. It turned to rebuilding the eastern half of the country to fully implementing unification. Uh, of course, the SPD took over for a large portion of that time as well. Uh, and still, by the way, took over, and they're, you know, largely a pacifist socialist movement. And right. so they have just underfunded the Bundeswehr for years, and why wouldn't they? Because they've been living under the American security umbrella since the end of 1945. And, exactly. And you know, reality has now begun catching up with them, and I don't think that uh, uh, Schultz is, despite what he says, I, I don't think he really has the pull in the Bundestag to massively rearm or re rearm Germany and and rebuild the Bundeswehr. Yeah,
1: he does not. Although he is at least trying to turn away from uh the Merkel uh stagnation. Uh you're right, he does not. And I don't think he has an inclination to really go that far anyway. But my point was that Germany at least has an excuse for being anemic. Uh, Great Britain and France, which are actually France in particular, has some really fantastic special forces. Um, as does uh, Great Britain. France but, has some uh, good, as,
0: France has good conventional forces as well. I mean, you're, you're, it, t- uh, you're talking about to a, the extent. Go ahead, you are talking about a country whose police force has Leclerc main battle tanks. Yeah, <laughs> the gendarmerie has an armored company
1: and they haven't been overseas to deploy any of these since what algeria
0: no no it's it's, it's the foreign legion that generally gets deployed first yeah but you know their so, parachute I mean, their parachute regiment has also been deployed certainly throughout northern and central africa
1: i mean these should be two powerhouses and they aren't i mean they're not even close and you know, especially after World War ii you would have thought they would try to <laughs> protect themselves more. After World War One, they did, um, but no. Instead, we created the United Nations, and now everything's just going to be hunky dory. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to actually spend any money on any of our, our uh, military capability or needs. Uh, we'll just, you know, depend on these intergovernmental bodies to uh, protect us.
0: Well, you know, there was a point, uh, certainly in the very first part of the the nineteen eighties, that the Germans held the U.S. armed forces in contempt. Uh, they 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 referred to us as the Italians of the eighties.
1: Did they really?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. But of course, you know, that was you know prior to the Reagan buildup, oh. and the the literally trillions of dollars that we funneled into. Uh, training and upgrades to our capability throughout the the 1980s but certainly at the end of the 70s and the early 1980s the u.s forces were generally held in contempt by the germans of all people
1: (laughs) well i mean the vietnam experiment did did not pan out well for true morale and uh you know regimented troops and whatever
0: no, the army we had in 1969 was a vastly different army than the one we had in 65. Yes. And it took, you know, 15 years to recover from that.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we have that sort of luxury now.
0: Well, you know, what I find interesting about this whole Ukraine thing is how utterly shrill, and they're libertarians, so, you know take it with a grain of salt, but how utterly shrill the official Libertarian Party organs are uh, (laughs) about uh, getting out of Ukraine entirely. And and even on the right, how, and uh, I I take some caution in saying this because uh, I don't want to just be repeating, you know, proggy cant here, but there are commentators on the right who certainly appear to be more pro Putin than they are pro-peace.
1: Uh, well, I don't know about who's pro-Putin. I mean, I don't think anybody's pro-Putin. Even the left is against Putin. I mean I think that's the one thing everybody can agree on.
0: Yeah, it's not the problem that but... the left is against Putin. The problem is is that many on the right seem not to be. Yeah. You know, really? Look, yeah, look, I, I see it on now. Granted, Twitter is not real life, but I, I see people on the right on Twitter that, you know, they're, they're always popping off with things like, well, you know, Vladimir Putin doesn't believe in this gender stuff, and Vladimir Putin wants to make the church, you know, primary in Russian life. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of people who, and it, I noticed this when the Ukraine war started, from a lot of people, um, like, who was that Marine, uh, Scott, what's his name, who was an arms inspector for the UN? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I
1: remember who you're talking about.
0: Yeah, and and I remember at the beginning of the the Ukraine war, he was going on all these you know mill blogger podcasts and was talking about how great the Russians are and how they're going to roll over the Ukrainians. He was how, he he yeah. was the one that was like telling
1: saying that the U.S. was like war criminals for going into Iraq.
0: Yeah, well now he he was saying that the you know the Russians really need to do this and, and by and, and look there are Nazis in the Ukraine. Let's not gloss over it. Uh, and he's That's saying, yeah, right. Putin needs to do this because, you know, he's got these Nazis in the Ukraine. He can't have Nazis on his border. Uh, they've already been th- down that tree- road once, although how Ukraine is any threat to Russia is, is beyond me. Uh, what, it's a nation of like three million people, for goodness sakes. Um, nevertheless, um, you know, there are a lot of people who talk as if they were in Putin's pocket, even if they're not. And there are a lot of people on the right who think that Putin is some sort of Sure, he's an authoritarian, and we don't like that. And of course, authoritarians are bad. But he does seem like a good Christian man who wants to who who, who wants to you know keep Russia a traditionally moral country, <laughs> as if Russia was ever a moral country.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, not since Catherine the Great, anyway. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, that's that's weird. I've I've never encountered any of that. That's uh, that's completely well, you know, misguided that's, that, and that, completely. That,
0: that's the whole thing about Tucker Carlson, right? This week, you know that that uh, McCarthy turned over a bunch of J six video camera footage to Tucker Carlson, and that was the first thing that came across Twitter. Now, obviously, it came from you know the the uh, Keith Olbermanns of the world saying, well, you, you might as well have just sent the entire plans of the capital to Vladimir Putin.
1: And it's come just from Keith Oberman's, came from the Chuck Schumers and Jeremy
0: Raskins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, giving this stuff to Tucker Carlson is just like giving it to Putin. Tucker's going to turn all that over to Vladimir Putin like Tucker Carlson has just got, you know, Vladimir Putin's email account. That's,
1: that's, it's like they've never actually even seen him or something. I don't know. That's just weird it's, it, it, well, it's not weird. It, it's typical. It has to be politicized. And, you know, you got to poison the well before anything comes out. But the the fact that there are people out there, you know, rooting on Putin like he has to do this, that's, um, that's a little scary. And it, it just kind of makes me think that Things have become so politicized that, well, if my enemy wants it, then I must uh, be against it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's become tribal.
0: And the thing is that it's put us in the position of making the Ukrainians these brave freedom fighters um, who are, well, uh, I I guess to an extent they are fighting for a freedom, which is a freedom from Russian control. I'm not sure that they want what we would consider, you know, actual freedom, uh, considering that, you know, they they, they did, after all, bring the Azov Brigade into their army, and they are all Nazis. I mean, they were a Nazi paramilitary. Now they're officially sanctioned part of the army, Um, and, and... so part of what has happened with this politicization is that we've now had to sort of spend a lot of time writing hagiography about the Ukrainians and how wonderful they are and how brave Zelensky is, blah, 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 and how bad Vladimir Putin is. And look, the Ukrainians have plenty of problems on their side that it it doesn't do yeah, us. It, any. it is
1: not a perfect nation. It is never really completely separated itself politically from russia i mean it's tried several times uh politically through the polls to do so uh and yet russian influence has been uh in ukrainian politics since it became its own free nation
0: um and, and of course, there's the there's the the Nazi problem. We can't we can't align past that. There is a serious right. Nazi problem in the country. They they have a lot of neo Nazis, and pretending that this is a, a a an unalloyed struggle between good and evil, it's actually a struggle between evil and really aggressive evil, um, and. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I would say, like, a a super great, uh, um, like, global shifting evil versus an evil that is, you know, not going to affect anybody else.
0: Versus a relatively impotent evil. (laughs) Right. It's an evil with intercontinental ballistic missiles against a... Three really million big hand grenades. A, a three-million-person uh, area of rather banal and commonplace evil. Yeah. Which is not to say that every Ukrainian is bad or every Ukrainian is a Nazi. Obviously, that's not true. Um, but Ukraine is a weird country. But we don't acknowledge that. And we don't, you know, I, I would have, and I guess there are diplomatic reasons why you can't do this, but I would have a lot more respect for a presidency that said yeah look we are going to support ukraine we're going to support ukraine for a couple of reasons one of them obviously you can't just go invading neighboring countries yes we can't just allow that to happen that's that's a bad precedent to set because if they'll do it there then that just lets them know that they can do it somewhere else so you got to stop that the ukrainians yeah they're not great people um they're certainly not at least
1: their government isn't
0: yeah at least their government's not i mean the ukrainian people many of them may be fine but their government is is super shady not quite as shady as russia's government um which is just a full-on kleptocracy under vladimir putin but still you know shady so we could just do nothing And let the Russians just do what they're going to do and run the risk of this blowing into some widespread war. Um, If the Russians do win and they start feeling stroppy and they go up against NATO, we're going to inflict 1,000 to 1 casualties on them in the first week. And they're going to start punching nuclear buttons because it'll be the only choice they have really fucking quick. Because right. if the Russians go up against us, we will slaughter them by the thousands. Now, true, every war Russia has every fought uh, has ever fought has included them being slaughtered by the thousands. But I mean, this would be quick, quick. Um, we don't. Yeah, want... this
1: isn't ground war. We'll wait you out in Stalingrad.
0: Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> people have no idea how. If we were to do a force on force conflict, people have no idea how. Um, uh, amazingly lethal the American armed forces are. I mean, we may not be very good at guerrilla warfare and haven't been. We're, we're, Vietnam. Never we're in been since
1: uh, the Revolutionary War.
0: But you but you run up in our face on a force on force and we will kick your ass.
1: Um, yeah, that's not even an issue.
0: And by the way, y- you better hope we kick your ass quick because if we decide that we're going to gear up for a real war, you are fucked. So... There is fear, I think, uh, at the Pentagon that if, if we let the Russians go um, and they decide that you know they feel stroppy and they feel they could take us on and that we wouldn't do anything and they force us into a position like invading a NATO country like Poland where we would have to do something, um, we would very quickly make it so obvious to the Russians that that was a horrific mistake, they would start launching news.
1: But would we? See, that's the thing. I I just, and I I can appreciate the nuance that you're you're, uh, putting into play there. I think that it's already well calculated out uh, by Russia that we're not, uh, neither us nor Europe is going to do anything. And I think China is in on this game as well. You know, they put out that thing, was it today, yesterday, uh, you know, their peace plan which was a bunch of nonsense. Um, and it looked to me, at least, like it was calculated to just get a complete rejection from the West so that China can now say, well, if you're not going to do that, then we're just going to give the Russians weapons.
0: Yeah, well, that's coming right out of the old commie playbook. Let's just make some right. demands that you know, are supposedly for peace, but that we know are absolutely unacceptable. And then we can always just say, hey, we tried.
1: Yeah, well, most of them were just completely stupid, but, um, you know, get rid of the Cold War mindset.
0: How does that even mean? Yeah, it's, that's, that's one of those demands that, like, I... I can, can you explain that in a little more detail? <laughs> can
1: you I get a five-paragraph essay on that, please? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's... the Well, not to get into the whole kind of russia nexus but russian aggression is absolutely a problem um supporting ukraine is absolutely in our long-term interests when it comes to the disruption that russia will cause because if they do take ukraine they're absolutely going um after uh, estonia latvia uh, and uh, lithuania um they are absolutely going to start pressuring Poland. Um, they're going to pull Belarus into that. Um,
0: yeah, Belarus it, is a puppet state already. I mean, they—they've affected. Well, that's right. there. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it—it it, be—it starts. It does create a lot of pressure, and what I don't know that Russia is so much concerned about the territorial gains. As it is extracting concessions from the threat of those territorial gains, but of course, as we all know, um, once you start exacting those concessions, well, you can keep making the threat and keep getting. I mean, this is dangled all over again. <laughs> um, and if they're backed by the Chinese, well, now you've got, uh, if, if, assuming that they be unified. Um you've got now the most powerful military force on the planet. And that's fucking scary.
0: Well, so yeah.
1: I do think that I understand what you're about to say that about the most powerful. But uh, <laughs> now now going into the Ukraine um it's it is an important objective to retard that. But what we have not heard and not, never has anything been uh, explained um, other than Russia cannot win. Okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does that mean us in terms of blood and treasure? So far, we're only spending treasure. And on one hand, that's fine. On the other hand, it's like, well, we're spending a lot of treasure. We're spend, we've are we spent now, I think, almost as much treasure as on uh, the Ukraine wars we did in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, that's, that is a problem.
1: And so it's like, and how accountable is that treasure? We're giving it to a corrupt country. It's not like we're giving them specific things. I mean, we have given them specific things. But we're also just giving them a lot of blank checks. And that's problematic.
0: And if we go back to 1914, uh, one of the things that all of the belligerents learned pretty quickly was that the millions of rounds of artillery ammo that they had stockpiled over the previous 20 years were good for about six weeks. And then they'd be out. (laughs) And we're finding the same thing. Now, one of the things that always stuck, has stuck in my mind for forty years. Has been uh, Canadian Professor Gwen Dyer and his series and book War, where he was talking about. In, in this particular example, it was the F-15, and he was saying, you know, the United States. The during World War II, the United States Germany was building four thousand fighter aircraft a month, uh, and that was in nineteen forty-five. They were still building four thousand fighter aircraft a month. Um, the United States now builds. Uh, I believe at the time 15 f-15s a year they build 1.3 a month and right. so the next war will be a come-as-you-are war and I think the Ukraine has demonstrated that perfectly we have Not only seen the Russians uh, apparently because you know we have very little direct information about the Russians, but we have apparently seen them strip their stockpiles of artillery ammunition, their stockpiles of armored personnel carriers, tanks, um, and if we look at what at least the Department of Defense is telling us, we are rapidly depleting our stockpiles of 105, 155 millimeter field <laughs> artillery, uh, all sorts of other military equipment, you know, missiles like HIMARS. Uh, we don't produce enough of that to replace what we have spent over the past year. Um, it'll it'll take a decade to replace all of that, and of course some of the stuff like the Stingers that we gave them, I mean, those will never be replaced. They're never coming back. We we don't make the Stinger anymore, which I guess you know, giving it to the Ukrainians is better than just demilling it and throwing it away. But th- that's never going to be replaced. We're not going to build a Block Five of Stingers. Right. So all of this equipment. Um, has just been sucked up by the Ukraine war. And by the way, this is a small war. This is a very small, very localized war. I'm sure it doesn't seem small if you're in Ukraine, and it probably doesn't seem small if you're a soldier on the front lines because, you know, if you're on the front lines, every war is, you know, major for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's, it doesn't matter whether you, you died in Verdun in 1914 or whether you get shot in eastern Ukraine. You're still getting shot or, and, and shot at. So
1: <laughs> I was in Sardinia in 1943.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and guess what? When people shoot at you, it, you know, it reminds me of, of <laughs> uh, there was a movie many years ago with Walter Matthau, and he was on the phone yelling at this operator saying something, you can't do that to me. I'm a veteran. I fought in the big one. Korea. Well, it was the big one to me. Which is perfectly true. But you know, all of this stuff that we're giving to the Ukrainians, I mean, at at some point we have to consider how does that affect our security? How does that affect yes. our stockpiles? Um
1: well, especially since we've been retarding uh our ability to create those stockpiles, much less um you, you know, I, I don't even want to go into the whole thing about the F35, but you know we have really tried to streamline these things and reduce uh what we actually create um on top of you know trying to stay fifth gen, sixth gen, but we're not we're not getting ahead. I mean we're, we're we have, uh, fewer commissioned and capable uh, aircraft ca- carriers now than we did 10 years ago. We have fewer subs. We have fewer everything.
0: Well, the, the entire fleet is, is smaller. Yeah. So is the United States Army. So is the Marine Corps. So is the Air Force. Right.
1: And, and that's understandable to a point. <laughs> what, what we don't have is the capability to ramp up. Uh, especially as these things get ever more technical.
0: Yeah, well, Um, I mean, that's not true. We have the capability to ramp up. However, um, just as it did in in World War II, that ramping up process is going to take, with full national commitment, it would take at least a year just to get industry prepared to produce these items.
1: I, I don't know that we have industry that could do it. And also support the rest of the nation. I mean, yes, uh, there would be a lot less, uh, you know, phones, TVs, cars, you know, just the the electronics involved uh, would retard the ability to produce those consumer goods. And even then, I don't know that we could really stay ahead of the curve uh, in order to produce these, um, you know, these military assets. Uh, both material and actual uh, equipment.
0: Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, we, there, there's a lot of stuff we wouldn't be able to produce. On the other hand, we'd probably be able to produce a shitload of P47 Thunderbolts.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true.
0: You know, we we have a lot of depth to fall back on.
1: Well, and that's why you got to keep going, you know, to the 5th gen, 6th gen, 7 I mean that that's exactly the reason without staying ahead of that, uh, you know, intelligence curve, you, you don't have redundancy. All you have is, uh, you know, whatever you got on hand.
0: Come as you are, war.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If
0: you don't have it at the beginning, you're you're not going to have it during the war. And, no. and we're not even belligerent here. Um, although based on our military expenditure, we might as well be. Um, we're not even belligerents here and we're stripping our own stockpiles. And by the way, I don't have an answer. I mean, you know, the the answer doesn't, to me, seem to be, well, fuck it, let Putin have what he wants. Um, Because that's just... Well, that's what's
1: so frustrating about this whole thing, is we can't let Putin win. But, like, why is it we're spending so much to support Ukraine and why isn't Europe spending more? You know, and there are some obvious reasons. Uh, oh, yeah, we know is... why
0: European is, why Europe isn't spending more. They don't have the defense budget to do it, and they are right. not going to make any social wa- welfare cuts. Um, exactly. They're, they're very big on talking about how important it is to support Ukraine. What they're not big on is making any significant sacrifice that would be required to do so.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, meanwhile, I, we're spending ourselves into oblivion
0: honestly not, in, in uh, some senses honestly in some sense it'd be better off if Russia did invade Poland because at, at least then the Europeans would have to take notice
1: it, it's like kind of uh in baseball, you know giving up the the seal of second you know <laughs> or giving up the walk uh just to like get the force out. You know, it, it's there is something to be said about that, um, depleting, uh, you know, Russia's uh, blood and treasure uh, to the point where they're so weakened that, OK, now you got Ukraine. What are you going to do now?
0: Of course, the, the, the problem is we can't really become belligerent. I mean, we could, we could stop the Russians tomorrow if we wanted to. Um, if we
1: were to declare direct war on them. Yeah, then, of course, the nuclear thing comes in. Yeah, although, but then, of course,
0: then Vladimir Putin starts turning the keys. And, yeah. You know, because they and will he, you start know what? Launching. I
1: don't think he'd fire them at us. I think he'd fire them at, at oh. Europe oh, and yeah. Israel. He,
0: sure, he, and he'd certainly fire them at Ukraine. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and would we trade Seattle, Los Angeles, Oklahoma City, Chicago for Kiev? Or Kharkiv? Mm, Mm.
1: That's a close question there, Bill.
0: (laughs) I mean, we'd we'd send a a very strongly worded note if, you know, he nuked (laughs) Kiev or hell if he nuked Warsaw. We might, you know, have a very frank exchange of views, as they say in, in diplomatic speak, but would somebody in Minot, North Dakota, be turning a Minuteman 3 missile key? I doubt it.
1: Yeah. Well, now the the Chinese know where everything is anyway. It would probably be moot.
0: Oh, Christ. We've had those missile silos sitting out there in (laughs) North Dakota for 60 years. Everybody knows where they are.
1: I still can't believe that they let that happen. I just... (laughs) It's just chaotic.
0: Oh yeah, we spent we've spent ten minutes talking about the future of the podcast, fifty minutes talking about the Ukraine war, which I didn't even want to talk about, by the way. We just sort of slid into this, this yeah, just pretty much as the entire world has slid into this fucking quagmire where there are many reasons to get involved and many reasons not to get involved and many reasons to want to stop Russia and other reasons to say, screw it, this is not worth our effort. Um, I, I think the American government would do the American people a much better service if they just said, look, we're just trying to muddle through this. This is all real confusing. No one is the pro from Dover when it comes to this. There are a lot of conflicting stuff here. The Ukrainians, yeah, some of them are good. Some of them are Nazis. The Russians, yeah, they're bad. But do we want them to freaking launch a nuclear uh, strike on the United States? No, we don't. We, we don't have a lot of good options here. And as long as Vladimir Putin wants to keep attacking on the ground and throwing Russian men at this problem, into a meat grinder, which is, by the way, how the Russians have fought every single war ever, um, this thing is just going to drag out. We're not entirely sure what to do. We don't want Putin to win. We don't want NATO to fall apart. We don't want Poland to come under threat. Uh, there's not a lot of good options here, folks. We're just trying to muddle through this uh, rather than at least you know try to tell people, yeah, these brave freedom fighters of Ukraine who are fighting for freedom. No, they're not. They're fighting not to be Russians. And by the way, it's mainly the people uh, in the central and eastern part of the country that are fighting not to be Russians. Because yeah, that, you know what? There's exactly a lot of people in western right. Ukraine that are fighting pretty hard to be fucking Russians. And in eastern Ukraine. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's a, a, at least a large minority or a plurality who would like to be Russians too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's a... Great big fucked up world when it comes to that whole thing. Meanwhile, uh, China floats a balloon across the entire fucking U.S. Um, We do nothing about it, and then pretend like we did something. And next thing we know, we're shooting balloons out.
0: We're shooting hobby (laughs) balloons out of this (laughs) guy. I
1: love that. That uh, yeah, Good blimp. Uh, Actually, I don't know if it was true. It was was, matter of fact, it probably wasn't real, it was probably Photoshop, but it was just funny to see a Goodyear blimp, you know, that has, you know, flies over football games and other games and whatever, and have on its screen you know, don't shoot.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> the week after the Chinese thing, which I think the administration felt enough pressure for just letting that balloon go all the way across the country and, and doing nothing, and it seemed like they were just fumbling the way through it, that You know, by the next week, you know, some poor little kid in Portland uh, at some street fair loses his little helium balloon, and we have to call (laughs) NORAD out on the damn thing.
1: I mean, it's it's so absurd, it's comical. I mean, it really is. It's just like, oh, but look how we're we're on it now. We are taking down balloons everywhere. (laughs) And how much do you feel? If you're shooting a sidewinder at these little hoppy balloons, how much shit are you getting back in the hangar when you come back in? And by and, the way, every you time
0: know, you every time you yell Fox One over that microphone, you're getting rid of a quarter million dollars.
1: That's exactly right. So, actually I think it's more than that. I think it's almost a half million.
0: No, I I I, <laughs> I think the it depends on which one it is, but I think the sidewinder runs uh, between two fifty and two seventy five per missile,
1: I, and that's about a uh, hundred thousand times more than what they're shooting down.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I again, you know, a P forty seven with Browning fifties could take down these balloons. <laughs> <laughs> not sure. I mean, of course, we don't we really we really don't put guns on, on aircraft with any serious alacrity anymore. The way we used to, so. You know, it's probably just as expensive to pop off that thirty millimeter chain gun for five seconds yeah, right. as it is to to drop a, a an aim nine on them. Well, that and brass A7. goes
1: somewhere. We got to look out for the environment.
0: <laughs> yeah, one, one of the one of our listeners says, "I'd have them paint a balloon on my plane." It's a kill, man. <laughs> Which, by the way, in today's air force would not surprise me. There's probably some pilot there that goes, "Let's go on four more balloons and I'm an ace." <laughs> I get an air medal for that shit.
1: I'm sure there are some sarcastic balloons going up on some planes.
0: <laughs> oh, if I was if I was the crew chief for that for I, I guess it shot it down with a it was an F22 that shot it down or was it an F35? Um,
1: i don't know no it wasn't an f-35
0: um but i think it was an f-22 which okay fine um uh if i was the crew chief for that aircraft i would have a balloon stencil made the next day (laughs) you know it would just be you know captain smith J and one your names
1: on that plane
0: and one freaking red balloon with a yellow star on the middle of it
1: a little picture of Nina
0: Oh yeah if i was if i was a crew chief for that plane i would do, oh that would be even better one <laughs> one silhouette of of Nina <laughs> And you know that that aircraft that aircraft pilot would just go batshit crazy on you as soon as he saw it Hey sir it's a kill Get that shit <laughs> off of there She tried to warn us yeah. There's 98 more coming, by the way. But, oh, my God. You know.
1: What a farce. What an absolute farce. But, like, you started off the podcast with it's like the incompetence is just so staggeringly large that it's like, what parts do you pick out from the other parts? <laughs> you know? What's really actually more important than the other things?
0: Well, you know, it's like Pete Buttigieg showing up two weeks after that that crash no, two in weeks uh
1: or three, three weeks, weeks actually
0: three weeks um, and the day after trump already went <laughs> yeah i mean talk about a day late and a dollar short oh my god and he's the secretary he of transportation and of course um last week he said like there's like a thousand train derailments a year um which oh, by the way you which by the way is 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 a significant understatement because it's closer to 2000 Um, Since 2010, it's been at least 1,700 a year, 1,800 a year, steady. And and by the way, that's an improvement. Yeah. Because in the early 2000s, there were like 3,000 of these things a year, 10 a day. Which is weird because we never, ever, ever, ever heard about that. Uh, Look, even now... There are between four and five train derailments a day. It it, it is literally the definition of dog bites man story.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's funny because uh, my son, who's in high school, he's a, a junior. It was brought up in his math class about how, yeah, there's actually like four a day, every day. And that's normal.
0: Sure, and you know, most of the time, most of the time, it's because it hits some idiot who stalled their car on the train tracks, um, right? And the train hits the car and derails. And well, most I think of the time, it
1: includes uh, transit rail, which uh, is a whole nother. No,
0: story. no, 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 no! It doesn't. the The, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics figure uh, figures do, uh, only count uh, freight accidents in that data set. So
1: they, they oh really? They don't yeah, count uh, any Amtrak.
0: N- uh, well. Yes, Amtrak would count as well. Uh but yeah, okay. like light rail, uh city transportation. <laughs> that no, no, stuff. No,
1: no, not that, yeah, no, no, no. I, I get that.
0: Yeah. So yes, it does count Amtrak because Amtrak is part of the national rail right. network. So that's just the federal rail that the federal government regulates. Right, right, right. Um right, yeah. which of course is largely freight because who rides Amtrak anymore for for Cripe's sake um
1: oh around here that's how my son gets back and forth from school oh
0: yeah well <laughs> out here um yeah See, nobody I mean, rides into mean,
1: the, the uh you know the, the what are they called the acela corridor yeah, the
0: acela corridor yeah. no I, I i get that but outside of that um the rest of the country is all just sending rail and by the way
1: so you're not taking that train up to uh San Quentin? (laughs) No. Oh, that's right. It's not running yet.
0: No, it's not running yet. And by the way, it'll be Bakersfield to Fresno, (laughs) which again will be yet another rail system out west that literally no one rides. But it is going to cost, you know, $90 billion.
1: Yeah, at least.
0: And that's just the Bakersfield to Fresno piece. Let's not even talk about how you get into San Francisco and Los Angeles.
1: That's supposed to be the bare bones part of it.
0: Yeah, that's that's the the flyover part of California where, right. <laughs> where no one lives. Yeah, it's easy to build that part of the railroad. Oh, wow. But, it was supposed to be. But I, I have to wonder because, you know, in Europe where, you know, I lived, again, in the late 1980s and early 1990s, um, I mean, everybody takes rail. I mean, that's basically how you get around. In Europe, yeah. everybody is on rail. It's it's massive. I, I can't believe that even in the entire continent of Europe, they got four to five derailments a day. I mean, they you, you would hear about it. I would think. And by the way, you, you'd think you'd hear about it. That's a
1: good it. question. Actually, I wonder what it is.
0: Yeah, because that's that's you know
1: basically oh, it's a massive rail system. <laughs> you
0: know, basically, here in America, it's, it's two. Th- it's 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 five rail accidents a day. Five train derailments a day. I think we're lucky. That um, considering the amount of petroleum distillates and other dangerous chemicals that are shipped almost exclusively by rail, I think we're we're probably lucky that we don't get more of these East Palestine, Ohio accidents. Uh,
1: I I I absolutely agree with you on that, and that's one of the reasons. Well, and it's never won with the EPA, but uh, it was one of the the reasons cited uh, several times when uh, the claims came before uh the bureau uh about why they're shutting down these pipelines uh or the building of pipelines or the continuation of pipeline you know all all that stuff
0: yeah if you can't ship this stuff by by pipe it's got to go by rail yeah and that
1: it's a lot more dangerous uh, which it is uh it's also a lot more expensive um it's just so much safer to to ship it or to to, uh, transport it via these pipelines. Um, And then the other thing about it, 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 this is the thing that really sort of bothers me is, I can't remember, did we bring, did I bring this up last week about how-
0: Oh, by the way, by the way, hate to interrupt, but uh, again, our commenters are are freaking on it. In 2021, according to one of our commenters. uh, And he says that he's not clear on whether these are all derailments, but in 2021, there were 1,389 significant railway accidents in the European Union, with a total of 683 persons killed and 513 seriously wounded. So basically, a 1,000 more people died in, or 600 more people died in train accidents in Europe than died in the United States in 2021, because we basically run about 100 deaths a year.
1: Yeah, but I wonder what that is compared to you know yeah, the number again, of miles traveled.
0: Yeah, the, the, the passenger miles in Europe must be insane compared to America.
1: I would think they would eclipse us by almost tenfold. But I mean, that's that's good information to have. Thank you, listener.
0: Google is your Google is our friend, apparently. <laughs>
1: yeah, well. <laughs> That's not good too far. We may find out
0: whether or not Google is
1: our friend. But uh, one of the things I was wondering, just specifically with the East Palestine um, thing, was why are these... Why isn't there some, you know, uh, way to neutralize chemicals? Uh, I mean, now, granted, my level of chemistry ended in college and i haven't exactly studied it since then but i seem to remember that you can neutralize chemicals fairly easily not fairly easily That that's not what i mean uh, but but with specific other chemicals in other words that uh toxic chemicals when reduced to a volatile form can be made um completely involatile, or at least less volatile, with interaction with another element.
0: Okay, that you is know, true. That is true, and granted um, on my degree program, I, programs actually, um, I did not have to take chemistry in college, and indeed my science elective was biology, so I haven't taken chemistry since high school. So I didn't take chemistry in either college or in graduate school. But um yes, technically any chemical can be counteracted by another chemical whether you right. whether you want to spread that second chemical around uh and and put it into the groundwater um is Absolutely. No, uh, no, no, that's that's is, that's, is a, that's exactly right. is is a problem. But. And by the way, we're talking about as as god, our listeners, Jesus Christ. Um we're talking about 90,000 gallons of counteragent that we would need. And how would we get it there in a timely fashion? So, yeah, logistically. No, no, no. What I mean is problem.
1: why isn't it part and parcel of the transport? Um, now, th- there may be a very good reason. It's a cost-benefit analysis. And it's too expensive. Um, it's
0: yeah because Almost half of your freight impossible. has yeah, because half of your freight has to be a chemical that no one wants and will never use unless there's an accident, and so right, you're losing half chemicals. of your freight capacity, so that's never going to happen
1: well and, and and if that's the reason, okay, I can understand that. but it seems to me there's got to be some way and really what I'm aiming at here is the burnoff that caused that giant cloud. And who knows what repercussions that's going to have? Because
0: yeah, vinyl chloride, uh, some pretty nasty stuff.
1: It it didn't stay over top of of East Palestine. It had to move out over Pennsylvania, and probably even into
0: Canada. Yeah, probably with unknown effects on the on a very wide swath of the environment in those areas.
1: Yeah, groundwater and whatnot why it just seems to me that like there should be and maybe you know what Uh, i'm acting like i'm the first one to think of this i have to assume (laughs) that somebody thought of this
0: yeah yeah this is one of those things that i think people who make their livings shipping dangerous chemicals have probably at least discussed over the water cooler
1: i would hope so (laughs)
0: And they probably my, come my, to the same conclusion. How would we do it? Um, if you have ninety thousand know, gallons of right. X, then you're going to need another ninety thousand gallons or more of Y to neutralize it. Um, right now, we're at one hundred eighty thousand gallons of shit uh, on on a train. That's just never going to happen. So it, it, it's so I guess it's we'll you one know of those things where we'll it's
1: like my trust in in anything government or science right now is so low that i i have to question it
0: <laughs> well you know i one of the interesting things i saw this this last week was you know all these people who are going up and seeing donald trump and they're so grateful for him, for him to be there he's the reason why they're suffering this in the first place because he's the one who killed the regulations uh that oh, would have put God. the PEH brakes on those trains ecp I, yeah, ECP, whatever, the train didn't have them. And you know why it didn't have them? Because the Obama administration in 2015 killed them via, uh, uh, I forget what law it was, but there's some fast track law that was signed. And so therefore, um, the Obama administration said, yeah, we're, we're going to hold off on putting those brakes on the train. And then in 2018, the transportation department said, yeah, uh, basically, we're, we're just not going to do that. Um So this is an Obama cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, this is an Obama
1: conclusion. Yeah,
0: but it was an Obama-era policy that finally came out in 2018 that said, "Yeah, we can't really do it." So, you know, again, we have to politicize everything. Yes, and this shouldn't be political. By the way, I think our our train infrastructure probably sucks, and I think we probably don't spend enough. I I saw a picture of uh, train tracks near East Palestine. Take it with a grain of salt because it was a long shot with a telephoto lens, um, and there was probably some significant ground distortion. But you expect train tracks to be straight, right? And in this particular perspective, these train tracks look like the train tracks look like they were drawn by a three-year-old. i mean they were just wandering back and forth and up and down and saying see how horrible our train tracks are now again with telephoto you can make something that's fairly straight look really awful but i i suspect our rail infrastructure is not you know top flight
1: i would agree I, i and i don't think there's been a lot of uh push from the federal government again to to move away from that even though some of these towns especially in flyover country depend on those uh crossovers e- east palestine being one of them uh, i mean they have trains coming through there all the time and it's because it's an actual stopover point especially for shipping uh well especially for shipping
0: and by the way is it east palestine or east palestine
1: they pronounce it palestine
0: yeah okay so uh, i've heard it, it's uh, always americans I, I with their americans with their stupid pronunciations for common words well it's
1: <laughs> so as an aside my daughter has a theory that the reason that uh, the brits um pronounce you know, words they've literally stolen from the French, like herbs, they pronounce herbs. Yeah. And and it's not filet, it's fillet, is because they hate the French so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that that wouldn't surprise me. They still do. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Yeah,
1: well. um, And Americans are just like, I don't know how to pronounce this. This is how I'm pronouncing
0: it. Yeah, there was another example that I wanted to bring up of of just complete mispronunciation, but I can't think of it now. But it's like this common word that everybody knows, that everybody knows, and then this town is pronounced, no, it wasn't Canadia, but this town is pronounced completely different.
1: Oh. (laughs) Eve.
0: All right, well, the the Department of Transportation is run by an incompetent. Um, And and by the way, it looks like everybody in the Biden administration is run by uh, incompetence, but at least as Catherine Jean-Pierre, speaking of correct pronunciation, Catherine Jean-Pierre said this week, um, you know, for the first time in American history, the cabinet is is minor or has has you know a majority of people of color, of women, of you know go down all of the the. Yeah,
1: it's the most diverse cabinet. DEI
0: ever. categories, uh, yeah, but it's not the most diverse in competence. And uh, it was hilarious. Well, it
1: this depends yeah. on
0: the It was hilarious. There's a lot
1: more incompetence.
0: <laughs> this week that uh, Sam Brenton, the guy who used to be the nuclear waste expert for the Department of Energy, uh, but who got fired because of his felony charge for stealing luggage at airports. <laughs> um, this week, uh, a Tanzanian uh, fashion designer who is currently living in Houston, Texas, came out and said, hey. In 2018, my shit got jacked at an airport, and lo and behold, there's pictures of this Sam Brinton guy wearing my shit. And so she had pictures of her in this dress that she had designed, right next to a picture of Sam Brinton wearing the exact same dress. And he only could have got it from one place.
1: I mean, literally the exact same dress. Yes. And in, in fact, he was photographed on Vanity, uh, for Vanity Fair
0: in one of them. Yeah, but hey, he was diverse. He was a... D- yeah, the, the,
1: the strange thing, too, is he was actually one of the most qualified. He least was a nuclear physicist. <laughs> he did have the credentials uh, and apparently was... Fairly good at it. He's just a complete weirdo.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and of course it caught everyone by complete surprise because how could you have possibly known? Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, frankly, he was a better pick in a lot of ways than uh cringe pierre and uh uh well obviously Kamala Harris. Um I mean, these people uh, were completely incompetent. They had no uh, Pete Buttigieg. Are you kidding me? The well, guy, had, the was guy, a is, horrible
0: mayor. The guy was the the mayor, and not a particularly successful one, by the way. But he he was the mayor of a middling sized town in the Midwest. Yeah, that that that's literally the only qualification he has uh, pro- professionally
1: it's was it was south end right where uh yeah, notre yeah. dame is
0: yeah he has no experience and they called him in
1: pothole pete he, yeah, did, he wasn't even successful there
0: yeah so his experience with transportation of all things i <laughs> mean you know say what you want about elaine chow or as donald trump calls her coco chow chow uh, <laughs> because he's such an <laughs> asshole um but he is a funny she was (laughs) she was qualified to be the secretary of transportation
1: yeah well her father does run the biggest shipping company between asia and america (laughs) she
0: practically grew up in the business
1: (laughs) that reminds me of that uh bit by uh what's her name Kathleen madigan (laughs) about how she was so excited when Hillary was going to run. Her dad was like, how the hell is she qualified? I mean, what's she ever done? And she was like, well, but she lived in the White House for all of these years. Oh, okay. I get it. Well, tell you what, next time the plumber's sick, just ask his wife to come over. And, you know, she'll <laughs> fix it. Because, you know. <laughs> I mean that's that's almost the level of thinking, except that's actually more thinking well, than you, what this White House has
0: done. Well, yeah, it goes back to something we talked about last week. All of these people in all of these positions, I mean, Americans still have this idea that people in government, uh, people who are running these departments or whatever, that they're 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 qualified. <laughs> I mean, they're picked, and the Senate um, you know, confirms them, certainly, at the at the cabinet and, and immediate sub-cabinet levels. Um, so, I mean, they're all vetted, so they should be the pros from Dover. They know what they're doing. No, what they know how to do is get a government job yep. and get an appointment and hold that appointment. And they make the appropriate mouth noises at the appropriate time or three weeks past the appropriate time as the case may be and they're never going to lose their jobs I mean they've got their appointment they're part of the administration and they're going to be there for as long as they want to be there and Uh, I mean let's look at uh, Joe Biden
1: this guy has only failed up he has never successfully accomplished anything and the only thing he's ever done is in government and he's been in the government for over fifty years, and he's never accomplished anything—not one thing—and they made him
0: president. Yeah, it's it's, it's it. That's how government works. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Ghostbusters, where you know Dan Aykroyd, when they're about to be fired from from the university, he says, "I've worked in the private sector. They expect results." <laughs> Yeah, well, if that was true in 1982, how much more, or 84, how much more true is that today? Uh, Yeah, the private sector expects results. What results do we expect from the government? Um, Whatever they are, I can almost guarantee that we're not getting them.
1: But no, we get multipliers. Don't you understand? We get multipliers from government spending. (laughs) This is always, I remember when, uh, 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 Paul um, the economist the, the idiot economist New York Times Krugman um, Krugman, w- 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 was pushing this idea that for every dollar the, the federal government se- spends we get $1.4 of efficiency out of it like what <laughs> How is that even, like, where do you even come up with that number um, it's just so obviously false <laughs>
0: And the, the, here's the problem with that argument. And by the way, it, it's an argument that I, I must assume that Paul Krugman knows perfectly well. That we... is wrong. Yeah. That, you know, the only way that that is falsifiable is if we stop taxing and see what happens when that money remains in the private sector and check out what mm. that multiplier might be. <laughs> So you know we we can make up any term. Yeah, it, the, the, what is it, Baghdad Bob? The multiplier is infinite. <laughs> yeah, m- maybe it is for all we know because we don't have a counterfactual that we can point to. Um, you know, it's, well, except that we do. <laughs> I mean, we
1: have lots of counterfactuals when the government gets involved and takes over any space of economic influence everything gets more expensive. Everything. Medicine. Look at medicine. Medicine has got increasingly, almost exponentially, not quite, but pretty damn close, more expensive ever since uh, we instituted uh, Medicare and Medicaid. And that's taking over uh, at the time, I think it was only about a quarter. Uh, but now it's it's almost like two-thirds uh, of all medical spending. And I mean, it's, and then we wonder why it's gotten more expensive? Education. As soon as uh, uh, the government got involved in uh, how college was paid for and who paid for it and what went to pay for it, as soon as federal tax dollars went in there, it got more expensive. There's no federal multiplier there. There's uh, actually a detractor.
0: Yeah. And and by the way, there are times when the private sector is not a lot better. Um, That's um, true. Absolutely. uh, You know, I I think a lot of it has to do with the the size of the organization. Uh, Just for an example, um, because, you know, I saw an interesting video about this very subject by Adam Conover, um, the guy who used to do Adam Explains Everything on TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, But Ticketmaster. All right, if you want to buy a ticket to any concert, basically anywhere in the country, you're going to buy it through Ticketmaster. Yep. Because they control basically 95% of all... uh, Certainly of online ticket sales and something like eighty percent of all venue sales. So, can can we say that having a private market in concert tickets is working out great for everybody? Well, no. Somehow we've managed to get a a monopoly there. Um, I and by the way, the same thing has happened in banking. Um, You know, I I remember growing up when there used to be, you know, First National Bank and First State Bank and, um, you know, all all these banks everywhere. Um, You know, any given town probably had four or five different banks. Uh, Same thing in radio. Um, You know, if you had 25 radio stations in your major metropolitan area, um, they were probably owned by 25 different people. And so... Okay, great, but now if you work in radio, you either work for Infinity or Spectrum. and
1: Or Clear Channel.
0: or Yeah, or, or Clear Channel. Um, and by the way, if you lose your job at Clear Channel, you're done in that town because they probably own all of the radio stations in that town. Uh, here in San Diego, I, I think there is a Christian station that is still independently owned, but uh, Infinity Broadcasting owns everything every single other station here maybe it's spectrum one of the two owns every radio station here in town this is san Diego there's like 25 radio stations here they're all owned by the same company um and if you burn your bridges of that company it's not you know tritty trotton six blocks down the street to the next radio studio you're just done you you now have to leave the city you're you're being run out of town if you want to stay in your bands <laughs> and you know i'm, I'm I'm a big fan of the free market, but one of the things that makes the free market work is competition. And somehow we're managing to basically monopolize banking and broadcasting and uh, ticket sales. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, oh, well, no. those first two, No, though, no are, listener, not the NPR station. That, that, that's owned by the University of San Diego. That's owned by, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, no,
1: but the first two are definitely governed by... I mean, they're regulated by um, the, yeah. the federal government.
0: Regulated, in quotes.
1: Yeah. I mean, ticket sales, well, I'm sure it is regulated on some some sense. I, mean, I I don't know how, or you know, I I, I literally have no idea yeah, how it way, works.
0: Amazon but. just bought a healthcare company.
1: Oh, it did. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So okay, and then went straight by the FTC. Nobody. Well, but look, nobody better than you, I. We should
1: all want to have our phones, our healthcare, our refrigerators, our toasters, uh, our TVs. Um, our recliners, you know, our headphones. Everything should be on the same service and all in complete sync with one another in happy harmon- and happy harmony. And then we don't have to worry about anything. We can let somebody else take
0: care yeah, of well, it. Yeah, well, that's how the EU does it. Yeah. Like cell phones. They just mandate what the technology will be. And your cell phone ha- has to work in every single EU country. Right. Yeah, that's what they—they even did that to Apple with the the USB-C connector. Nope, no Lightning in Europe. Everything has to be USB-C, or you just can't sell it here. Yeah. Okay, and by the way, USB-C is like a thousand times better than Lightning, but still, that that should be Apple's choice. um But that choice should Although be. Although Apple does fuck with us, I mean, yeah, they they do like to lock you into their ecosystem.
1: And, you know, planned obsolescence and all that shit. Yeah, but... But anyway, that's the whole... We could go on for
0: literally... Yeah, because
1: we are
0: are centralizing power. And and by the way, part of this is technology that enables it. Um, The technology that we were so giddy about in the first 10 minutes of this program um, is, is the same technology that enables a single company to say we can build a monopoly over the entire nation uh it couldn't be done 30 40 50 years ago um we should be a lot more worried not just about monopolies that are created by the government because those are always by definition a worry um because once a government supports a monopoly it's with us for life uh whether it's via regulation or what have you um we should also be worried, and this is what really kills me as a free marketer. What the free market appears to be moving towards is monopolization of practically every industry that can leverage technology to build a monopoly. And yeah, I have well, no it, idea how to stop it.
1: Well, that's the thing: is that it's a first mover problem, right? I mean, um, Twitter is the shit because everybody signed up for it and there was no alternative until much later. And even the alternatives they're just not as good as Twitter um, Facebook is the same the same way and they have moved towards this social monopoly. They don't have a monopoly economically on uh, you know us. well, they do. Not that we know it, because we're only paying with our Privacy. personal info and data. <laughs> yeah. um, we don't have because we don't pay for it. We we don't realize the actual cost. So it, it it's it, it's a very unique problem um, that you got to hand it to the monopolizers that they, they have found a very unique way to uh, get lots and lots and lots of attention um, and monetize it. Yeah,
0: although Facebook seems to be pretty keen on frittering all that away.
1: uh, They are, well, they're, they're innovators, and they don't recognize when they had a good thing um, and could have left it alone, this whole meta-nonsense, but whatever. I mean, it, it, they're still ripping people off, um, have been ripping people off. Um, Twitter is the same way. Uh, Google, especially. Google is incredibly worrisome just because of how it controls what people actually learn.
0: Oh yeah, yep. the, the ability of Google and because Google now owns YouTube and several other uh, other outlets. Um what you want to see and what Google will allow you to see are not the same things.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: And Google has this ability, and they do it. You know, one of the things that we talked about at the first part of the podcast is, you know, could we survive on Google with some of the stuff that we say? Um, and I think, you know, a lot of stuff we say would probably get by, but uh, there's some things that we say that, that if it caught Google's attention could get us uh, not just demonetized but banned off of the platform. And at the very
1: least... I can think of a few podcasts yeah. that would get that.
0: And at the very least... Would get us so pushed down in the algorithm that nobody would ever see it. Right, that, that we no, never would never show up. Yeah, we just never show up, and that's an and the
1: it, statistics show that it uh, beyond page two, you know, uh, of of Google. I mean, you're not getting looked at.
0: No, you're not. And the same thing applies with YouTube. They have things that they want you to see, and I don't. I, I think there is. Uh some level of political censorship that goes into this on youtube um but I think for the, the you know the day to day YouTube user, they are far more interested in pushing content to you that gets cpms clicks and sure. um, Google has morphed from find anything that you want really quickly because our search algorithm is that good to find anything that we think you will click on to produce money um, because our search engine is that good. Um, Yeah. And and again, it's pretty much a monopoly. I mean, Bing exists. Not that you would know, uh, but it does. But who uses it? it Well,
1: I have to use Bing because and actually... Anybody who who does any search um, on a federal uh, who is a federal government contractor and is doing a search on a computer that is within that realm uh, is it has to use something other than Google. You're not. You actually cannot be compliant um, and use Google, which is really interesting that the federal government. Does not trust Google to be used as a search engine, but it does trust Bing, which a lot of people don't know actually uses Google algorithms.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, just not as effectively because I can never find any shit that I want on Bing. Although increasingly, it's getting harder to find it on on uh, on uh, Google as well, and because I do spend Let's go
1: back to Alta Vista. You know, I used there's to, a blast from the past. How I, many people remember
0: that? I used to like Alta Vista. I loved Alta Vista, and back when the internet was, you know, a hundred thousand pages. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of things I used to like. But you know, one of the arguments that libertarians have always made, uh, and by the way, we're, we're kind of getting close to Section 230 stuff, which I didn't intend to cross. But if we have to cross that bridge, we'll cross it. Um, one of the things that libertarians have always argued, and, and conservatives as well, uh, which is, you know, you got to keep hands off of all this stuff. Because the government will just screw it up, which, okay, yep, sure, it will. It, you're, you're, you're expounding a religious doctrine to the temple singers there. Um, but that doesn't mean that the private companies won't screw it up as well. Um, if there's a way and to do the, it, well,
1: uh, and just do throw this out there that the defense that the private companies will screw it up as well was always there. It was just that, Oh, well that's going to invite competition. In.
0: Yeah. But now the problem is how do you compete? Okay. Let's take YouTube. Now rumble exists. I mean, it's there. It's alive. Um, people use it. um, It's not a tiny, tiny community the way it used to be, but it also ain't YouTube. I mean,
1: no, you're not going to find it on your hotel room, uh, TV that you can just go and sign into your account and look up whatever you want.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the sheer amount of, of barrier to entry for let's say making a YouTube competitor, um, the, the number of servers that you would need to have, the amount of disk space that you would need to have, all the performance monitoring and stuff, so the, the, the bandwidth requirements, the, the, the capital expenditure for trying to compete with YouTube, well, I mean, who has that money? I mean, maybe Facebook did at one point, um, but right now, if somebody decided to make a real competitor to YouTube, who could do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, not even Elon Musk at this point could do it.
0: No, and let's say that that, that the FTC did get involved, and the FTC decided, okay, we are going to bring an antitrust action against. Um, I guess it would have to be Alphabet, right? Right, uh, that yeah. would be the the parent company. So we're going to bring a, a an antitrust action against Alphabet, and. We're going to split um, Google up into you know, three different companies. Mini Googles. <laughs> Let's say,
1: yeah, three different companies. There'll be Atlantic Google. There'll be L Google. Yeah.
0: Okay. Even if you did that, okay, how would you split up the billions of hours of content? And how would you do that anyway?
1: Because the whole point is that the internet is everywhere. It's like you can't actually do that. It's not like users only come from one particular area. You know, w- when they split up the, the, the into the baby bells, it was it turned into regional bells, which didn't help anything. Yeah, because regional monopolies are
0: re- regional monopolies are much better than a national monopoly.
1: Right? <laughs> and, but that's beside the point. That, you, I mean there's no way to actually split it up I mean you, you, that's not a solution because the internet is everywhere
0: yeah but, well, but no but but the content isn't everywhere I mean the content lives on Google servers so you know t- to that extent then the question becomes okay what do you do just every you know any meeny, miny, mo as to which new Google gets this video um right okay and you then know, how do we transfer that? Role?
1: Access. Yeah. What has regional access?
0: Yeah, it, it's just how would you split it up? Because there's there's billions of hours of video files that would have to be. I mean, would you shut them off on, or, or would all three Googles have to have all the same videos on them uh, at the beginning? Well, now you've just tripled the amount of of storage infrastructure and bandwidth of infrastructure you need for all three companies. Um. I, I, I just don't know. See, that's why I don't think know the how you do it.
1: It's just, just to turn them into or, or legislate them as a public utility. But a federal public, you know, see, even that's not going to work. Well,
0: okay. Now we get the feds involved. That's going to work. Out right. right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, that's not going to work either. At least if the feds are involved well, no, that's not even going to change anything. And I'm obviously thinking off the top of my head here. Yeah,
0: no, no, uh, it's it's a hard nut. It's, it's, it's a hard nut. <laughs> listener says, don't go there, Michael. Um, <laughs> look, it, it's a hard nut to crack. I don't know how you would split it apart. I mean, look, when you split up standard oil, um, at least you knew where they Which didn't
1: even matter at the time. Yeah, but, yeah. but,
0: but at least you knew where, where all their assets were geographically. <laughs> Right, so you could you could then you got
1: Esso and you got Exxon and you got Arco and and
0: (laughs) whenever you split up uh, the phone companies, well, they did it on a regional basis and they split up Ma Bell into you know eight different regional bills. Okay, fine, Um, it works because all their infrastructure was you know basic, largely confined inside those regions, and it was logical. But then when you get into, I mean, how would you do it with banking? How would you split up? Wells Fargo
1: yeah that's always well that's what Glass-Steagall was supposed to do right w- was to split the uh, investment well, banking side yeah but I, from-
0: but forget the investment banking side I mean we could technically we could just reimpose Glass-Steagall and just force right. force all the banks to divest themselves of their you know investment arms and spin them off as, as separate companies that would be easy what 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 if we decide we don't want a nationwide bank like Wells Fargo, that controls that many d- deposits? What if we wanted to split up Wells Fargo? How would we do it? I mean, by state? Well, that's how it got started in the first place. Yeah, uh, you know, well, that's how the do insurance bank. companies. Yeah, and so I, I I guess, but you know, we do have people that that move around in the country. So what would that mean if I moved out of you know California? Um, Wells Fargo in New Mexico would not be Wells Fargo in California, and I would have to shut down my account. I'd have to transfer everything over. Would I? I'll have to order new checks. My account numbers would all change. It would throw off all of my bill pay. Um, yes. Yeah, you know the the the, we have all of this convenience, like in banking. So I could get a you know a wild hair and just move to Texas tomorrow. I could just abandon everything and go live out you know outside of Colleen, Texas, in a shed. Do it, do it. And my bank would still be Wells Fargo, and I'd still have the same account number, and I wouldn't have to get new checks or do anything else. I I I'd, I'd be fine. there's a level of convenience that comes with that type of, of market control. Um, but
1: that's how it's sold quite frankly.
0: Yeah. And you know, it used to be if you move to a different state, well, you know, you're, you're going to have to take all your money out of the bank or wire it from your old bank to your new bank. And you're going to have to start all over from scratch. Um, so, you know, we've given up a lot of competition, which means given up a lot of of restraint over both prices and restraint over commercial practices in favor of this convenience. And I honestly don't know how <laughs> we dial that back.
1: Well, I, I don't think we can because the only people who would want to dial it back are people who are thinking long-term and that's very, very, very few people. And there's no real solution. So unless somebody comes up with, and I'm really kind of hoping you and I can come up with it. Cause we're going to be fucking rich if we do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, there's there isn't really a solution. Uh, that convenience factor is huge. I mean really paramount. It's really nice to be to know that um, just like you know, if you go to an Applebee's, anywhere in the entire country, it's gonna have the same uh, food. Really? it's gonna be served the same way. You're going to have the same things, and it's comfort. Well, it's nice to know that about your banking system. It's nice to know that your phone is going to work. It's nice to know that you can uh, reach out to anybody you need to wherever you are. I mean, that's that's a lot of convenience and a lot of, you know, hitting you in the that that safety portion of your, uh, you know, your gizzard.
0: You know what it comes back to? It's it's the fact that we're too rich and we're too comfortable and we're too well off that that we can't live with inconvenience anymore.
1: I mean, look, there's something to be said about that. That that's actually a really good point. Whenever um, whenever I mean, you whenever you it can be taken too far. I think.
0: Yeah, whenever you thought your wife could die in childbirth and one of your children wouldn't live to the age of ten. And you might come down with diphtheria and die any winter. Um, You know, having to order checks and get a new checking account at a different bank probably wasn't that big on your list of priorities. No,
1: nor was transporting, you know, the whole $800 of cash that you had saved up in your entire life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But when everything in your life has, and that's, that's the sort of the devil's deal that we've made with.
1: Oh, that's it. Big business. That's exactly right.
0: Make me convenient and I'll give you all of my personal information. Make it possible for me to see funny cat videos and you can (laughs) sell my wherever I am. Yeah. And you can sell my information to anybody. Oh, and by the way, if you throw in a chat app there so that I can talk to friends all across the country, you, you know what? Take my personal information. market to That's me, baby. That's the
1: deal we've made. I mean, think about it. We've talked about this so many times, you know, about how we carry around a personal location device.
0: Oh yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing funnier than looking at a libertarian tweet that says the government surveillance has just gotten too too intense. I can't believe that we care so little about freedom. Sent from my iPhone. All right. <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Your cross
1: reference to Facebook.
0: <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. We don't care about our privacy, and we don't care about surveillance. You you have hit the nail on the head, sir. Right. And you know what? I mean, maybe we can dial back on the self righteousness from 11, but in general, you're <laughs> correct.
1: And I, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of downsides that we're seeing, but there are a lot of pluses that I don't think we recognize. I stay more in touch with my parents, with uh, you know, people I haven't seen in forever because of these uh abilities to, to be in constant interaction
0: oh yeah sure um, because they call every freaking day which i love <laughs> well, by the way it. it's great
1: i mean you and i would not have been doing this for as long as we've been doing this if this was back in like the 70s or the 80s and we had to do this all over an actual phone and do the recording you know with a uh you know a, a, a cassette tape recorder or if we're really fancy with a you know um you know h tra- or not an a- h a reel to reel um you know
0: and by the way is- if we were doing it on a reel to reel we wouldn't be doing it for more than an hour
1: right and the, the the phone costs alone would have been astronomical.
0: And the sound would have been shitty. And it would have yeah. cost, you know, $100,000, $150,000 to be able to hook a phone to a, a reel-to-reel recorder. I mean, it, of course, it's, any editing would have had to be done, and I know because I've had to do it, um, with a razor blade and editing yep. tape.
1: Yep. So, I mean, like... Yeah, these conveniences have made a lot of things better. A lot of things.
0: But it's a devil's deal we've made to get it. That's all I'm saying.
1: It's it's true. And I think it's the Americanness in us, and I really do believe this, that says, well, you know what? We can find a way out of this and make it even better.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I mean... Nothing lasts forever. Uh, the Rand Corporation study we talked about last week says that Western civilization is going to collapse in 2040, and all these problems will be solved. We'll just have um, yeah,
1: just replaced by <laughs> a old
0: different ones. a different <laughs> set of problems. Like you know, like you know, finding food or energy or anything You're like fighting
1: that. Sickness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing like what the, the first thing I, I'm always wondering this, and I know we've talked about this before, but I don't know if we have ever talked about it before on the podcast, but like the first thing I'm going to hit if like so, society collapses and I shouldn't even say this, except that I want our listeners to also do this uh, is I, I'm going to the pharmacy. I want as much antibiotic, <laughs> as much like, you know, uh, just like base i don't need anything to get me high i just want actual life-saving shit
0: you know? yeah which for me would be uh diabetes medication i'm not on insulin but whew, i'm gonna need a shit ton of metformin right and i'm not sure that's I mean, gonna be enough
1: i mean that's like the first place i would go and i know it's gonna be ransacked for all the uh you know the the codeine and whatever else, but that is absolutely. I'm not going to the grocery store.
0: <laughs> yeah, my to- neighbors probably have some food, so I've I've, I've got plenty of food.
1: <laughs> Either you come with me and bring your <laughs> shit, or I'm just taking it. <laughs> yeah, food isn't the problem. No, I can find food. I can hunt <laughs> food. I can fucking catch food. That that's not my worry. My worry is antibiotics and. You know other meds that like would just uh, again I I don't I don't need to be high I just need to be able to function.
0: Yeah, because you know I can't imagine anything that would suck more than surviving the apocalypse and then dying from an infection because you tripped over your shoelaces. God damn it!
1: Are you fucking kidding me? I can't even (laughs) meme this shit.
0: Well, um, look, we've been at this for almost two hours. We, we probably should 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 think oh, about, thankful, think about thankful, shutting it down. Um, although I just got a package in the mail today. Speaking of the apocalypse coming, I uh, um I just got the two brand new sets of level three A body armor. <laughs> oh. so. I'm I'm good against rifles at this point. Nice.
1: <laughs> all right, meet you in Colorado. All right, all
0: right, buddy. Have a great week, Michael. we will right. we'll talk to you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Observations podcast for the 24th, I believe, of February 2023. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We're glad that you do. Hope you're listening next time. Until then, have a great week. So long.